0: before we begin, you know, I'm not the greatest preacher. Now please don't go, oh shame, Whereas you are, you're so good. In fact, um, what sociologists and psychologists tell us is that if I was the greatest, not preacher, communicator, maybe uh, there's an echo on there, the greatest communicator on the planet, like I was, you know, I heard one time Bill Clinton came and spoke at some big function at uh, um, at a Nedbank Bank thing, they paid him 800,000 rand to speak for 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, we're all going to try speaking, right, engagements, right? But if I was the best communicator in the world, and you, you lot, had been handpicked because you were the very best listeners, well then once I had got done communicating, you'd probably leave with about less than 15% of what I said. Do you know, as Gav was talking, he reminded me of this. The reality is this, friends. You're here to worship God, to celebrate Him. And then God uses the foolishness of preaching to present His message. But what's going to happen in this room today is that the Holy Spirit is alive in our midst and in you. Absolutely. And He is going to take... The Word of God, which the Bible tells us is able to save our souls. He's going to take the Word of God, which, which is living and powerful and able to cut out of our lives the things that need to be removed And bring into our lives the things that are supposed to be there. And the Holy Spirit is active in this movement. And so when, when, when Gab was speaking about being expectant, that's what it is. It's to say, Holy Spirit, as Wes preachers, as Sid preachers, Gab you know, as Zane, and Zane, bro, just, you know, w- with a majestic beard like that, you just, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> you know, um, rabbit trail. At the end of last year, I was driving my car and the Lord just gave me a word, not a word, he just spoke to me about this year, what it was going to look like for me. And I got a bit anxious and a bit fearful because there's some things I don't want to do, you know, and I felt like God said, you're going to do those things. As a sweet very, very well-known, reliable, prophetic voice, phone and confirmed that, and they sent me a voice note, and I'm like, oh, gosh, and I tried to send them a message back about five times, and the message was trying to explain how that, you know, like I was trying to make an excuse and all these kinds of things for, for doing what they were asking me to do, and eventually, I could just not get the message right, and eventually, I just said, thank you so much, I really appreciate it, I'd love to serve in any way I can, you <laughs> know, and I realized, I realized it's not what we believe about ourselves that matters, It's what he does. It's what he does. And that person recognized something on me and saying, we recognize something on you. And we confirm the call of God on your life and the anointing that's on you. And God's going to increase that and he's going to use that so that other people are saved and empowered in Christ. Amen? Amen. But back to my little story. So the Holy Spirit is here. And he's going to knit your heart with the word. And that's what's going to make all the difference. In fact, you may leave here today with just one thing. One thing I didn't even say because the Holy Spirit was communicating to you while I was speaking. Uh, something I said stirred something in you, and he reminded you of something. That's how God works. You know, I, every, most days when I, I like to say most days, but most days when I go and be with God and I spend time in the Word, I'll read many chapters, and oftentimes a phrase, a word, one verse will stick out. That's all that there is. You know, I wish I could remember more. I actually thought this year I'm going to set myself some New Year's resolution. I'm going to learn the whole book of 1 John. And quote it. And I thought, Wiz, ooh, don't get so excited, buddy. <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself now, boy. <laughs> you know, you barely made it through my trick. <laughs> but the point is, is that the Holy Spirit is going to highlight something for you. Not just this Sunday, but every Sunday. And every day you get in the Word. And He knows your life. He knows what's coming. He knows everything about you. He knows how your past is shaping your future. And He knows how to speak a word exactly into your life and shape your heart and shape everything about you so that as you move forward, you move forward in success. As you move forward, you move forward in His holiness and His righteousness. As you move forward, you move forward in His will, His plan, and His purpose. I say that to say, put all of your confidence in Jesus. Put all of your hope in Jesus. Friends, we do not put our hope in the new year. We put our hope in the one who makes all things new. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but I've had many new years, and they haven't quite worked out like I, like I planned that we're going to work out. We don't put our hope in new things. We put our hope in the one who makes all things new, who fashions your life, who loves you so dearly that he didn't leave you alone, but sent his spirit to dwell in you and with you. And if you will listen, he will lead you in ways that will astound you. He will lead you in ways that will astound you. Amen. Let's just pray, and um, we'll get into the word. Father, I thank you that this life is super-duper exciting with you. You have good plans for each of us, Lord. You have good things in store. You have a life full of peace and joy and prosperity if we will trust you and walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we speak, you would speak. Lord, as I would minister, you would minister. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would unite, you would knit the hearts of every one of us By your spirit to the word and may the word become flesh in us and may it produce in us what you have desired and planned and purposed for us in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So while Core and I have been away, um, I just felt like God speak to me about three things that I feel are going to be important for us as we move into the new year and as we track through this year and trust that Jesus, the one who makes all things new, is working in us. I felt like the Lord give me a personal word. A number of years ago, I read a book by Mark Batterson, and he spoke about how every year he trusts the Lord for a word, not like a sentence word, just a word, a single word. and That that word would begin to just shape his thought life and his, and his prayer life and all those kinds of things as he pursues God through that year. And I felt like the Lord said to me, "Where's that word for you this year is surrender. <laughs> it's like I thought I'd already given you everything, Lord. <laughs> but I realized that God wants more of me because he has more for me. I'll say that to you, God has more for you. And so he wants more of you. And I believe that as we surrender more and more to his will, to his ways, you know, so oftentimes when we, when we, when we and I know this is the third, I know we're a couple of weeks into January, so just bear with me. Give me some license here. I know some of you are already done with your re- New Year's resolutions. But, but as, we, as we kind of move with God, as we move into New Year's, we, we often make all these kind of goals. We set these goals. And so often they're, they're centered on us. I'm going to get thinner, richer, happier. I don't know. Whatever. We make these goals. And I, and I just was like, in, when, when the Lord spoke this word to me, I realized, Lord, what you want from me is to not live my will, but your will. And Lord, if I will surrender to your will, if I will seek first your kingdom, if I do that, Lord, then everything else will be added, free of charge, for Mahala, no tax, Because God says, if you'll do that. And so God's calling us, I know. We'll talk about this through the months. And and hopefully our team will help us just keep moving back to these things. But God wants us to surrender. And then the next thing that I felt like the Lord spoke to me is about great faith. And I know Sid has done such an amazing job preaching. And I've listened to a couple of the sermons. And and in speaking to him, I realized that what, what God was saying to him in many ways is what God was just saying to me. And I love that. And I just want to say thank you to Sid and Trace. We appreciate you leading the team and doing such a great job. And uh, you guys are awesome. And uh, Trace, you did such a great I watched last, last night at about, what, about hope past was 10 or so, I decided to watch your sermon. You know, I thought better. And you did such a great job. Declarations over the church. Thank you. You guys are amazing. To so Gavin Wins for everything that you've done, and we appreciate you too. Full of faith, full of expectation. This year is going to be a good year. Zane and absolutely, absolutely. Zane and praise. I know you were up here doing things and those kinds of things. Marvin and jacks they were on holiday with us too. They were resting, but we love and appreciate you. And Rina Rene and Renee have just come back from Mauritius. I think they got home at about 12 o'clock last night. They went on a family holiday, so they'll probably be with us this evening. But thank you to the team. Thank you to the team. But it really sense God calling us to great faith. God wants us to have great faith, and Sid spoke about this great faith. Hey, great faith is relying on God. In the midst of storms, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of all the things that, that, the, that life and the enemy will throw at us, we just keep on trusting that God is faithful, that He's faithful. In the Bible, God, Jesus invites you and I to build our lives on the rock, and building our lives on the rock, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is simply this, is building your life on the promises of heaven. It's building your life on the promises that God has breathed into this earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. The firm foundation of your life is God's Word. And He wants us to do that. I believe God's calling us this year to great faith. And then I really believe that God's calling us to a deeper place of worship. And Sid spoke so beautifully. And, um, you know, if, if, if you were here last Sunday, I just want to say something. Sid did a degree in drama and art. So sometimes we feel like we're having to really get our game up here because he's so animated and he does such a great job preaching. But he spoke about that there's a new song for us at Cedar Hill. There's a new song. And I believe that God is going to birth something in us. And so I want to lay a foundation this week, so I'm not going to really press into those things because next week we're going to share some vision and some purpose and some things that I really feel like God wants us to go into these things and how we're going to do that. But I want to set a foundation for that. So, would you go with me quickly to One Kings, One Kings, chapter twenty-one? And I'm just going to read to you from verse nine and ten, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. My father-in-law, you know, I've just make just a, a disclaimer. I have read the whole Bible. But there are stories that you just never take note of, right? You're just reading through that reading plan. And yesterday morning, we were praying here. Just by the way, prayer on Saturdays is up and running again. And so those of you that can make it 7.30 to 8, we pray here at the Riverside Campus. Come along and pray. That's a good thing. But um, so my in-laws were the only people that arrived to pray with the pastor. I just want to say. I'm just here. But... um, My father-in-law, Peter, reminded me of the story. He just felt like the Lord, I don't know if it's part of your reading plan, Dad, or how you got there. But I was just amazed by the story. And uh, the story is about a man named Naboth. Naboth. Now, I want to tell you, this man's name, Naboth, means fruits. Not one fruit. Fruits means fruits. And Naboth owned a vineyard. Maybe that's why his name was Fruits, because his dad, this was a family farm. This vineyard had been passed down from generation to generation. And so maybe his dad was, you know, called them Fruits because they were farmers and they grew grapes. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so Naboth has this farm, this vineyard, and it, it, this farm borders um, the home of King Ahab. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Ahab had a wife named Jezebel, and the two of them were wicked. They're the wicked things. He was not a good king. He was a greedy, impetuous king. And he was manipulated by his wife at every turn. And so he wants Naboth's vineyard. And he goes across to Naboth and he says to Naboth, Naboth, please, I want to I ask you, will you sell me your vineyard? I'll buy, I'll give you good money for your vineyard. Or if you don't want money for it, I'll give you another vineyard somewhere else. But can I have this vineyard? And Naboth just said to him, you know, King Ahab, I, I can't do that. This is my family farm. I, I, I don't want to do that. And so Ahab had a little bit of a hissy fit. He was depressed and he went home, blah, 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 laid on his bed, stopped eating, just a mess. And his wife comes in and says, what's wrong? And, and obviously he explains that to her and she says, well, don't worry, you just rest. You know, you're the king, come on, sort yourself out. And, and she writes a letter to the city that Naboth and them live in. And she writes a letter to the elders and she asks them to do something. And I want to read to you what they do at her instruction. So she wrote in the letter saying, verse 9 of 1 Kings 21, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two scoundrels Say scoundrels. 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 See two scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, you have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Wow. So in order to get what he wants, Jezebel orchestrates the death of Naboth. She has him stoned. And the leaders of the city, they do exactly as they told, he's the king. Why not? They do this. And they kill this innocent man. Well, God is upset with this, and he sends Elijah to go and speak to him. And Anyway, God says to him, because you have done this wicked thing, I'm taking you out. In fact, it's quite a, it's quite a hectic thing. Maybe a little PG. I don't know if any kids here. Maybe we won't go into all of that. But it is quite, hey, I'm going to take you out. And the Bible says that Ahab repents. He repents repents. He tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, takes ashes, and he repents to such a degree that God says, have I see your heart, I see it's true, and he forgives him. He forgives him. But you see, in the Old Testament, the problem in the Old Testament was that there always needed to be justice. So judgment had to come. Judgment must come. It has to. God would not be just and fair if he let sin run unchecked. He had to take care of it. So he says to him, "I forgive you, and I'm not going to let this come on you. But it will come on, it will come on your, your other generations. It will come onto your children. It will come onto the next generation. And that's quite a hectic thing. But when you realise that God must bring judgment because of sin, then you understand. But there's a greater story in this story, and that's the story of Jesus. Who else? Who else was put to death between two scoundrels?" Who else was lied about? Who else was? it was said that he blasphemed that he never did? Who else was deviously put to death for our sin? who is Jesus? And do you know that Jesus Naboth name means fruits? Do you know that Jesus is the first fruit that 's who he is. and so this picture, this story, tells the story of Jesus. It tells the story of our king and so when, when God spoke that proclamation and said, Ahab, your next generation, Jesus was not a direct descendant of Ahab, but he was of the lineage of Israel. And when God was saying that i will have to put it on another generation, God wasn't delighted in putting it on anybody else but his son. No one else but his son. I want us to start this new year being mindful of all that God in Christ has done for us. That Jesus bore our sin. In the most ghastly and horrific way so that you and I can be free. I want to remind you of what the word says. The Bible says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. The blood of Jesus declares forever your freedom. The blood of Jesus declares that you are free. You are free. Now in the story, Naboth, when he was stoned, the dogs came to lick his blood. And that was the curse that was going to come upon Ahab. But I want to say to you that the blood of Jesus wasn't given to dogs. It was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And the blood of Jesus declares forever your forgiveness. It, It declares forever your acceptance in His presence. It declares forever your access to every promise that God has made in Christ, in the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit to you and I. And so... We don't put our trust in a new year, but we put our trust in the one who makes all things new. And when Jesus hung on that cross, that's exactly what he did. He set in motion the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things. That's what he did when he worked that work on the cross and finished that work. When he did that for you and for us and for me. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm not gonna make you turn there, but I'll tell you. Anybody started a reading plan this year? Thank you, Sydney. <laughs> I'm just going to get my shambak out the back there quickly. No, I'm, just I'm just teasing. So uh, so I just, you know, every year you find another reading plan and you forget about all the ones you missed last year and didn't make and so you just start again. And, and anyway, so uh, I, I, I was reading the book of Matthew. So obviously start at chapter one. And the book of Matthew chapter one, is a list of Jesus' ancestors. It's, it's a genealogy. And it tells the story of Jesus. Well, not the story of Jesus, but his, his ancestors. And, uh, and what's amazing about this list of people is that there's some good and some not so good. <laughs> so one of Jesus' um, ancestors is a lady named Tamar. And Tamar is an adulterer. I don't want to get into all the stories. You can go read it for yourself, but, but it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty horrendous story. But Jesus comes from Tamar. Rahab, the prostitute, was in Jesus' lineage. So was Ruth the Moabite. And if you know anything about Bible history, the Moabites were bred from, in, from incest. <laughs> then there was Bathsheba, Solomon. And Bathsheba was innocent. And that's why I believe that she was there. She was redeemed through a son. It's the picture of Christ. But, but this genealogy, why is it there? Because it makes for painful reading, to be quite honest. <laughs> but what is it there? What is there for? Well, at the end of the genealogy, it stops. It stops at one person, Jesus. And I want to tell you why. Because all of the Bible, all of the story of the Bible, all of the narrative of the Bible points to one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. And everything that the Father was trying to do in the Old Testament was finished and completed in Jesus. Amen. Completely and absolutely finished and completed forever in Jesus. I love it. And if Jesus had part of his family, all those people, well, then there's hope for us. Every one of us in this room could probably claim to being a scoundrel at some point in our lives. Worthy of being crucified next to Jesus. But Jesus is good and faithful. He's good and he's faithful. And if we're going to build on this new year, let us build only on him. Let us build only on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, our king. When we think about that story of Ahab, it's wrong, right? It's unjust. It's It's not right. But Ahab is no better than any of us. And God in Christ has saved us. And it is the most glorious and wonderful, wonderful thing. I want you to go with me quickly to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. So you can just put a marker there. So as we build this year, we're going to build on Jesus. I want to remind you of some things. In Jesus, all the promises of God are fulfilled. Jesus is not only the completion of the Old Testament story at a historical level. He is also the fulfillment of the Old Testament all the prophecies and all of the promises of God. That's what the word teaches us. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God was wanting to do. And in Christ, God invites us into a new life. I want to say, I I say that, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I often find myself not living in the fullness of that new life. (laughs) And I wonder, Lord, How do I live in all of that? Because I know it's not by effort. I know it's not by self-improvement. I know it's not by self-help. Lord, how do I live more fully in the promises of heaven? How do I live more fully in that place with you? How do I get into that place with you? Because, friends, I want to say to you, if you will go after Jesus this year, if you will build his kingdom, there will be nothing left undone in your life. There will be nothing left undone in your life if you will pursue Jesus with all that you have. Remember the story of the, I uh, uh, referenced a little earlier, of the, of the story, the parable that Jesus tells about the two men, one wise, one foolish, where they build their house. One builds it on the, on the rock, and one builds it on the sand. And in that story, Jesus says that the storms are coming. The storms will come for both men. Just because you build your house on the rock doesn't mean the storms aren't going to come. They will come. And they come sometimes in packs of three. <laughs> sometimes they come in a wolf pack. <laughs> but Jesus is greater, right? He always is. My point is, is, the Bible says if you build your house on the rock, your house will stand. It will not fall down. If you build it, I mean, if you build it on the rock, it won't fall down. If you build it on the sand, it will. It will fall down. It'll be washed away. And Jesus says very simply, How is it that we build our lives on this rock? He says, the man who built his house on the rock, he's the guy who heard the words of God and did them. He just did what Jesus said to do. Now, I don't know what it is. If you have children, you may be able to understand this. But we are born with the ability to just not do what we're told. Women continue to experience this with their husbands. (laughs) But but just somehow, you know, you can tell your children, go brush your teeth. Okay. And then, like, five minutes later, you think, I need to go, I need to go just check on that. And you walk down, and there they're in the lounge doing everything else but brush their teeth. And you're like, did you brush your teeth? No. (laughs) Why did you not brush your teeth? Can't really tell you. Just ended up here. (laughs) So it seems simple, just do what he says, but oftentimes we've got to fight so many other things, our flesh, mental blocks, all kinds of things, but we've got to pursue God. We've got to go after him. So how do we live in the finished work of Christ? How do we begin to live in that and appropriate all the blessings of heaven? You know, everything that that Jesus did, again, it's done. This is the picture I had of a massive table spread. With every good thing, there are apparently 7,700 promises in the Word of God. And those promises are on display on a banqueting table. Magnificent meal, and Jesus invites us to eat. And Jesus doesn't say, take one plate and it at the end there, and you pay for it. He's like, eat whatever you want to eat, as much of it as you want to eat, It's up to you. Eat. You can start at the desserts. You can just do whatever you want to do. And I want to say to you, in this year, there's not one promise for you. That's why I believe God is saying to us, great faith. Because faith is the way that we eat from the table. Faith is the way that we come and eat from that table. And Jesus says to us, be it done to you according to your faith. He says, whatever you got faith for, go after it. Any one of those 7,700 promises, whatever one, when you got faith, go after it. Eat. Have as much or as little as you want, but it's up to you. And that's what I sense God is saying to us as a family. Friends, don't put your hope in one thing. Put your hope in Jesus. He's all things. He's the one who set the banqueting table. And he invites you to eat. He invites you to come and eat. I want to say to you, what happens sometimes is we get disappointed, right? Maybe 2018 was disappointing for you. Maybe it didn't end the way that you wanted it to end maybe it didn't work out, I want to encourage you, just check that disappointment because disappointment is the father of depression. And if we let a disappointment settle in our hearts and create a bitter resentment, we'll end up depressed. And depression leads us to the handmaiden of fear and fear robs us of faith. God's asked us to walk in love and faith. Why? Because every promise is available to you. Don't settle for less this year. Go after all that he has for you. So, how do we do that? I want to read to you a story that we find in Luke 10. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Simple story. Jesus comes into town. They go to Martha's house. Martha has a sister named Mary. Jesus gets in. Jesus does what he does. Can you imagine sitting with Jesus and hearing him preach? I'm not not like this, with him. Like you and some buddies. Like not all the other people that you, you you have to hang out with on a Sunday if you thought what I was thinking, then you need some help, eh? We love one another here. But can you imagine just hanging out with Jesus and hearing him speak? And, and if you're not feeling well, you just go, please pray for me, Jesus. He just, boom, like that, instantly sets you free. If there's no food, just, it's fine. He'll multiply something. Just like, imagine hanging out with Jesus. And here they are in this house. And Martha busies herself in the kitchen. And Mary chooses the Bible that says that one good thing. She comes and sits at his feet to hear his word. Such a beautiful story. And Martha is irritated. I want to tell you, friends, when you negate being at Jesus' feet and listening to his word, you will begin to get frustrated and irritated with things around you and people around you all the time. I want to tell you, when you are frustrated, check your word time. And what did she do? Martha didn't just blame her sister. She blamed Jesus. She's like, my sister and you, what are you going to do about this? And we do that. We get to a place in our lives, we're so frustrated and irritated. Who do we blame? Jesus. Where are you, Lord? You're God, and you let this happen? And Jesus is going, no, i prepared the table. There's nothing I left undone. Just eat. It's faith. Just have whatever you want. Yes. But because we're so frustrated and irritated, we stop blaming other people, and we blame Jesus. But Jesus says, Mary chose that one good thing. Friends, I want to tell you, the way that we begin to eat from this table, the way that we begin to live in all the things that God has for us, is that we sit ourselves at His feet daily and hear His word. And we live with Him, and we eat with Him, and we sup with Him, and we journey with Him, and we travel with Him in every part of your life. I've enjoyed some time of fasting, and when you get to fast, what's awesome about fasting is you don't eat no, not really. That's not, no. Um, the awesome thing about fasting is that you make time to be with Jesus. It's purposeful. So it's not just morning. I go to lunchtime later on, and, you know, and I'm so purposeful about it. Corner, I spend time worshiping last night, all these things. You just make, you make time for Jesus. And things just bubble up on the inside of you, and the bread of life begins to sustain you in ways you never thought was possible. You see, God wants us to draw into His Word. That's what's going to change things for us this year. If we build our our, our house on His rock, if we build our house on His promises, if we build our houses on His Word, if we listen and hear and obey Him. So it's a beautiful story. I want you to go with me quickly to the book of John, John chapter 12. So there's Mary doing the one thing that Jesus said was the right thing to do, sitting at His feet, hearing His Word. Now the other thing, just quickly while you're turning to John 12, the other problem is that for all you people that have got to do something all the time sitting at Jesus' feet it's difficult (laughs) I remember years ago I'd be praying and I'd go pray and I'm like I've got a list I pray boom pray for those people pray for these things Ephesians prayers amen thank you hallelujah and one day I I did that and I was about to leave and the Lord said could I speak? I was like, sure, sure, sure. I went and sat down in the chair. And I sat there. And you know, I didn't hear what God said. Because for the next five minutes, my heart, I was like, I've got to go. Eventually I was like, um, I'll just, just send me an email. <laughs> we have got to learn to quieten ourselves in His presence. We've got to learn to, to, to create un, you know, just restful time with him. Yeah. We have to. We have to. Guys, I don't mean to be dishonoring. I really don't. But, but one verse, the verse of the day, uh, oh, amen, and out the door, it's not going to help. It's not going to help when the storm hits. It's not going to help when the bottom falls out. It's not going to help when the water starts coming into your boat. It's not going to help. Because you know what the word does? It builds in us a confidence in God. I've been reading about Abraham over the last while. You know, the Bible says that Abraham didn't look at his body that was old. And as you get older and you look at your body, I know what kind of thoughts he should have been thinking. And the Bible says and he didn't consider Sarah's womb. That had stopped working. He didn't consider those things. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Friend, your faith gives glory to God. Our faith comes by hearing his word, getting into his word. Unrushed time with Jesus is what's gonna make 2019 the best year of your life. That's what it's gonna do. So John 12, verse one, the anointing at Bethany. Now, this story is told in all of the gospels. It's quite interesting because you have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then you have John which is the other gospel. <laughs> and not all the stories are told, but this one is. And in the other times that the story is told, the lady who anoints Jesus, her name is never mentioned. Only in the book of John is it mentioned who anointed Jesus' feet. So I want to read the story to you. If you don't know it, you'll find something out. So then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead. So awesome. You hang out with Jesus, you get food, dead people get raised, their life's awesome. Whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 2. There they made him, made him a supper. Everybody thinks Jesus is hungry. Eh? <laughs> and Martha served. Woo! Interesting. Martha's still in the kitchen. And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Can you imagine? Lazarus is like, buddy, listen. I've lived and died and I'm back and I'm hanging out with Jesus. he's like brother let me tell you something I've been dead and life is nothing more than being with Jesus that's what he's saying he's hanging out with Jesus his sister's serving but he's with Jesus he's like this guy will make food don't worry we just hang out with Jesus something will happen and then it says and Mary Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, "Why is this fragrant oil not? Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor?" This he said, "Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Be careful what you say. People know who you are by what you say. It's for free. It wasn't in my sermon. And had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Verse 7, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. You know what I love about this story? Is that Mary, who had sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word, She was the one who had the privilege of anointing Jesus for his burial. Where was Martha? Still in the kitchen. The story says to me, friend, if you will do the one thing with your life that's necessary and needful, and sit at his feet and hear his word, then you will always find yourself at the right place at the right time to do the one thing that you've been called to do for Jesus that nobody else can you, we all, I want to do great things for Jesus. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. I want to do something. And, and then we get lost and we get distracted and we get all kinds of things. But if you want to be found doing the one thing that only you were called to do for Jesus at the right time, then you need to sit at his feet and hear his word. Unrushed, continuous, daily, day in, day out time with Jesus. Just at his feet. Being loved by him, being stirred by him being strengthened by him. Amen. That's what he wants for your life. So I don't know what kind of resolutions you've, you've got. Maybe you have a wife who set some for you. <laughs> Apparently I'm eating healthier this year. Exercising more regularly. <laughs> and Keith's taking me subboarding, which I cannot do, by the way. I'm a little overweight, so I keep top-heavy. I keep falling over. God's calling us to surrender and he's calling us to a life of greater faith and he's calling us into deeper worship and we'll talk more about those next week. But it starts on the foundation of his word. It starts by committing to build your life on the one unchanging thing that you will ever have the privilege of being part of and that is his word. The unchanging, sure and steadfast word of God. I wanna end this morning by taking you to Genesis 24. I've had such fun in my new Bible reading plan. I hope the Lord continues to give me all this revelation through the year. (laughs) Genesis 24, very quickly, is the story of Abraham wanting to find a wife for Isaac. How many teenagers in here? Who's keen to let your parents pick a spouse? Okay, hands all went down. Okay. (laughs) But Abraham's a good guy, just like your parents take their advice. Um, So Abraham sends out his servant to find Isaac, a wife. And Abraham sends him with a whole lot of stuff, um, gold and jewelry and all kinds of things that girls like, and uh, says, go find Isaac, a wife. And he asks him to, you know, make make some promises and all these kinds of things. But anyway, the servant, the unnamed servant goes, and he gets to a well in Abraham's country. So he goes back to Abraham's father's country to go find Isaac, his son, a wife, and he gets there, and while he's getting up to the well, he's kind of like, he's not too sure how to do, do this. You know, this is long before online dating. This is long before, you know, how to pick a spouse. He hasn't read those books, you know, how to, you know, how to find a partner for your friend. I don't know, it hasn't been written. Maybe, maybe you want to write that one. Sid. <laughs> but so Abraham, I mean, Abraham sends this, this guy out, and so now he's standing there, and he has this well. So he says, you know what make a good wife? A, a generous lady. That will make a good one. So he's like, Lord, if if somebody comes out and they they get water and they offer me water and they offer the water to my camels, generous and hardworking. It's a good mix, gentlemen, (laughs) especially if you're lazy. Anyway, so, (laughs) so he says, you know, that happens. And then that's exactly what's about to happen. But before that happens, he prays a prayer in verse 12. And I want to read this to you because it's become the prayer of my heart over the last couple of weeks. In verse 12, he prays this. He said, Oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success. Please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. It's the servant. Of Abraham. he says, Lord, show me success today. And in giving me success, show your kindness to Abraham. I began thinking about the scripture. I thought, who is Abraham? Well, Abraham very simply is the covenant keeper for all of Israel. He's the father of faith. I said, who else is a covenant keeper? Well, the one they hung between two scoundrels the one who bled and died for you, the one whose life was given to purchase all of the vineyard. I thought, okay, can you put that scripture back up for me, please? So our Abraham is Jesus. Our Abraham is Jesus. And friend, if this year you will live for more than yourself, if you will live for the kingdom of God, if you will build your life on the rock, on his promises, I want to tell you something now. Your bonds will be full. Your life will go well. There won't be a storm in the history of your life that will sink your boat. So I began to pray this prayer this way. Lord, grant me success and show kindness to my master, Jesus. Last year, I preached a sermon series about Jesus and loving Jesus. And I said, the father loves the son and so should we. Now that word kindness in the Hebrew is the word hasid. It actually means unfailing love, loving kindness. Jesus is loved by the Father, and the Father loves the Son, and He will grant you success to honor His Son. Why is God gonna do good things in your life? Because He made a covenant with His Son to bless you. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that He tore down the wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Who were the Jews and the Gentiles? The Gentiles were the blessed Um, sorry, the Jews were the blessed, the Gentiles were the cursed. That's really what it was. But in Galatians 3, the Bible says that God has removed forever the curse, that in Christ Jesus, the curse has been removed and that wall has been brought down and all of us in him are blessed. And God is gonna grant you success this year if you will live in such a way that your success is so that Jesus gets glory. So that Father, you love your son and our hearts are there. Now don't use it as like a, Twist the arm. Hey, Lord, just bless me today so that you can love your son, Jesus. No. Father, grant me success as we build this church. Connect group leaders. Grant me success as I I shepherd these people's lives. Worship him. Grant me success, Lord, and show loving kindness, your unfailing love to your son, Jesus. That's what God wants for our lives. And so I encourage you, as you move through this year, God wants to give you success. He wants to bless you abundantly, but He does it as we seek His kingdom, as we build on that rock, as we lay down our lives and sit at His feet and hear His word, because if we do that, you will find yourself in the right place at the right time to do for Jesus what only you can do. Amen.